Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. Connect further with us by downloading the Dream City Omaha app or finding us on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe for more. Bible reading. We've been in, we've been in this, uh, this chronological reading plan, and we're going to continue in that today. Those of you that maybe are joining us for the first time, what we've done as a church has started way back January 1st, and we started in Genesis chapter 1. And our goal this year is to read through the Bible chronologically. And so every day we've got three, four chapters that we're reading. And this week we were in 1 Chronicles. Those of you that read it, 1 Chronicles 3 through 10. And then there were some Psalms thrown in there. What I really like about this period of the chronological plan is you're getting some history and then you're getting some Psalms thrown in there. And if you read this week, you know that the Psalms came in clutch. And those of you that are giggling right now are the ones that read this week. The rest of you are like, I'm not sure why, but I'm sure I'll find out why. Well, because First Chronicles chapters 1 through 9 is all genealogy. And it's this person begat this person, and now you're like, yeah, that's right. That's why I didn't read this week, because I just kind of skipped over it. But it's this person begat this person begat this person. It's his son and his sons and his sons and so on and so on. Like 660 names given to us in the genealogies of chapters 1 through 10. But the great thing is we would read like chapters 1 through 3, and then the next day was just all Psalms. And it's like, okay, we've given you enough genealogies for, 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 for now. Let's read a psalm. And it's like, in those moments, I thank God for the psalms. And I've, I've never been like, you know, I, I read the psalms. I like the psalms, but I've never had a real, like a deep appreciation for the psalms until this week. Right? Like, just don't make me read another genealogy again. And so this week we've been reading First Chronicles and we've been reading the Psalms and driving up to the graduation. Yesterday, my dad says, so what are you going to preach? Because it was a lot of genealogy. So he said, so what Psalm are you going to preach? And he said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to preach a Psalm. I'm actually taking a story out of First Chronicles chapter 4. In First Chronicles chapter 4, we see a story of a man, just two sentences, two verses long. And if you... If you got frustrated with the genealogies and, and you don't remember or recognize this particular portion of scripture in your reading from this last week, and you just kind of got to chapter four and it was the genealogy in the line of Judah and Judah begat, who begat, who begat, and you got to about verse seven and you said, okay, I think I've got the point, and you went and you turned over only to find that like Simeon was next and it was just more of the same. And you didn't remember, you didn't, you kind of glossed over this. I would totally understand it. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we're given two sentences about a man named Jabez. And we're not told much else about Jabez. In fact, we're not told anything else about him in the entirety of Scripture. The only other thing that we know about this man is, is he was prominent enough to have a, a town named after him. First Chronicles 2 tells us that in the town or the village of Jabez, that's where the scribes would gather. So that was where they would get together and write out and, and copy, make manuscripts of God's word. But First Chronicles chapter 4 gives us the, the picture, and really it's, it's a prayer of Jabez. In the early 2000s, there was a book that was written on the prayer of Jabez. If you grew up in church, you probably heard about it at that time, you might remember it. But today we're going to go through it together, take, take from it some principles that we can apply to our lives and, and begin praying 
over ourselves as well. But First Chronicles chapter 4, here's what the Bible says in verse 9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. And all of the moms are like, I could have named my kid Jabez then. And Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. He goes on and says, let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, we pray that over the next few moments as we as we open your word, examine your word, study your word, may your word come alive to us. I pray every word from my mouth would it be anointed of you. Pray that you would anoint our ears. Holy Spirit, we give you access. We give you control to do whatever it is that you want to do. Encourage, correct, strengthen today. Lord, that it would all be done through the power of your word. That you would transform our lives and, and help us to look a little bit more like you. Help us to have a better understanding of your nature, a better understanding of your character, a better understanding of your heart for us, that we would all leave having known that we had encountered and heard from you today. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 How many know names are important? Those of you that have kids, when you, when you came to naming your kids, how long on average did it take you to decide on a name? Couple months? Did I hear a week? Who, who got that done in a week? You got it done in a week? Listen, like with our first, I remember it was, it was like six months. As soon as we knew we were pregnant, it was like, all right, what's the names? And then for the first couple of months, you have two names, right? You've got a boy's name and you've got a girl's name because you're not sure we're going to have a boy or a girl. And then you find out what the sex of the baby is and you can immediately eliminate half of those names that you came up with. And now you've got a list of 15 to 20 if you were like us. You're going through the baby books and you're Googling it online and you're trying to figure out a name. And how do you know names have meaning? Like a name is something that you carry with you your entire life. Have you ever wished that your parents named you something different? I remember as a kid, I wanted to be Josh. And I think it was, I think it was just because all the Joshes are like, yeah, that's right. You wish. I think it's because as a kid, like there were so many Johns that it was just like, I just wanted to be something other than John. And so when, you, when, you're, when you're giving a kid a name, like, you know, Dick Tracy, name the kid, kid. Like that was his name. When you give a kid a name, it stays with them their whole life. Have, have you ever Googled your kids' names or when you were finding out what you wanted to name your kids, did you search, like, what does this name mean? How many of you guys did that? How many of you guys did not do that? You're like, I didn't care what it meant. Okay, yeah, some of you are like, real quick, like, I don't want them to know that that was me. <laughs> I didn't Google their names. I didn't Google the meaning of their names. We've got Jace is the oldest. We've got Isaiah. We've got Carter and we've got Jewel. So your pastor has given his kids one biblical name. We've got one Isaiah. The rest of them were just like, what do we feel in the moment? That's what we're going with. Carter, I think it was because we were watching a show at the time and one of the main characters' name was Carter. And we kind of liked that name. It's like, let's just name him Carter. But as I was preparing for this message, I started Googling their names. Like, what do their names mean? And Jace, come to find out, has Hebrew origin. And the name Jace means the Lord is salvation. 
Yeah. Like the way I kind of sneak, snuck my way into that one. Like, thanks, God. I see you working that out. Isaiah means God saves. Okay, we're two for two at this point. Jewel, our daughter. Jewel means a precious stone. And she is definitely that in our lives. So I've got, I've got the Lord is salvation. I've got God saves. I've got a precious stone. And then our third son, Carter. I never, I, never, I never thought to look it up, right? Like, you got Carter? I never thought to look it up. What does Carter mean? What is the meaning of the name Carter? You know what Carter means? One who drives carts. <laughs> he, is a, he is a cart-er. <laughs> I'm just going to start calling him by what their names mean, like, Hey, the Lord of salvation, go clean your room. Hey, God saves, no more fruit snacks. Hey, precious stone, yes, you can come watch TV with me. <laughs> hey, one who drives carts. <laughs> Take this cart back at Walmart, right? Like, names mean something. I remember when I first graduated high school, my first job out of high school, the summer I graduated was working landscaping. And so we would go and we'd put you know, plant flowers and we do tree trimming. We built ponds. We did some of this stuff. And so there was, there was a crew of like six guys on this one crew. And then there was another crew that sometimes we worked with. But the, one of the guys on the other crew, the first time I met him, I was like, Shirley, that's nice. He's like, it is, don't call me Shirley. But he's like, when I first met him, I had to a couple times, like, what was your name? And he, you know, there's, there's some names that go for both genders. Right, like Pat could be a guy's name or a girl's name. Sean, I've known guy Sean's, I've known girl Sean's. Jordan, Corey can go both ways. I feel like Kim is not one of those names. Right, like I feel like if your name's Kim, if I, if I get a resume and it's Kim, it's a female. This dude's name was Kim. And I... Remember, it's like, what's, what's your last name here? I'm not joking. This was, this was his name. Listen, I'm not joking. Like, I can call somebody that was on that crew with us, and they would verify right now. So you're telling me Mr. and Mrs. Burley found out that they were having a boy and said, let's name him Kim. So that in kindergarten, when he goes to school and his teacher is taking roles, she will say, Kim Burley? And he has to raise his hand? That's my stop. I told you about this one before. You guys remember this one? That's not la'a. You pronounce the dash. <laughs> this name is Ladasha. It's not la'a. Ladasha is the phonetic pronunciation. What are we doing? Like na names are important. Listen, I'm a Husker fan. Any Husker fans? Listen, there are seasons that I've been really excited about for different reasons. 
This season, I'm really excited because we've got this kid coming in from Louisiana. I'm gonna show you his name here in a second, but I want to give you some context. Like, you know how there are times where younger generations will take a word and make it mean something that it doesn't mean? Right, you guys know what I'm talking about? Well, there was a time where like, if somebody was really good at something, you would say, oh, that person, like they're cold. Not like, like, like cold, but like if they were really good at something, like that dude's cold. You guys ever heard that? Maybe some of you have heard that. You've heard maybe your grandkids say it or whatever. Like that's cold. Well, there was this lady who had several boys. And when she had this particular boy, she thought he was going to be the best athlete that she had ever produced. So she named him the coldest. He's a young man from Louisiana, signed to play football at the University of Nebraska. You are going to see the coldest Crawford on the field at Memorial Stadium. And when you do, you will remember this message. You're welcome. But she had other boys and she was like, you're kind of cold. You're pretty cold, but he's the coldest. And she named him that. I love it. I love it. As you read the Bible, what you'll find is that names matter. Names mean something. In the Hebrew language, you didn't have to translate the name. Like we, we look at Jace. Well, what does Jace mean? The, the name was literal to whatever it meant. So when, when Jabez introduced himself, he didn't say, hi, my name's Jabez and my name means pain. He didn't say, hi, my name's Jabez and my name means grief. No, what he did was when he met somebody, he said, hello, my name is pain. Nice to meet you. When he applied for a job, when he asked somebody out, would you like to go out with me? What is your name? It's grief. Good grief. No, why would I want to do that? My name is pain. Sorry, the position is filled. He led with that because the name meant something. When God changed Abram's name to Abraham, Abraham means the father of many. God's promise to him was that you would be the father of many nations. Jacob, when Jacob was born, means heel grabber. Why? Because when his brother was born before him, his twin brother, he was reaching through and grabbing onto his heel. When his brother Esau was born, you know what Esau means? Harry. Because what they did is they would either give a name over a child, like prophetically, like God, let this kid's life be about this. Or like an anchorman, they would just look around the room and start naming things and then name their kid that. Like, I love lamp. Are you just saying that because you see a lamp? And so when, when Esau was born, they named him Harry because he was Harry. It just happened that way. And so when, when Jabez was born, we're not told about the specific pain. We're not told if it was just the pain in childbirth, but every pain is associated with childbirth or every childbirth is associated with pain. And so there had to be something more to it. But when you look at Jabez's life, you have to first understand that everywhere he went, he led with his pain. Maybe you're here today and you can relate to that. Maybe it's not the pain of a name. Maybe it's the pain of abandonment. Maybe when you were a kid, somebody walked out on you. And everywhere you go, every interaction that you have, you lead from a place of pain. Maybe it's a pain of bankruptcy. Maybe it's a pain of divorce. Maybe it's a pain of broken relationships. But every time Jabez introduced himself, people could read pain 
over him literally, and you can relate to that today. In his pain and from his pain, he cries out to God and says, God, don't let me stay in this pain. He says, God, have, have more for me. God, God, would you lead me? God, would you guide me? God, would you open up doors for me? And he prays this prayer, and the Bible says that God grants him his request. How many of you, when you pray, you want God to grant your request? Several things in the prayer of Jabez that if you're taking notes, I want you to write down. And if you're not taking notes, I want you to really write down four things that he prayed and four things that, that you and I should begin praying over our lives, over our marriages, over our families, over our purpose, over our careers, every part of our lives. As we look at the prayer that Jabez prayed, the first thing that he said is, oh God, that, that you would bless me. God, would you bless me? Now, it would be very easy for us to read this prayer and Say, God, would you bless me and enlarge my territory? Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I... It's a lot of me's and it's a lot of my's and it's a lot of I's. And if we didn't understand this prayer in its proper context, it would be, be easy for us to pray this prayer and think that this prayer was prayed from a very selfish point of view and with very selfish motives. Jabez is just praying about himself, but when you understand what he's praying, it really... It really isn't. This isn't some prosperity gospel prayer. Amen. This isn't some name it, claim it, blab it, grab it prayer. When you understand, because what he's saying is, God, would you, would you bless me? And I told you a couple of weeks ago that to be blessed, to understand blessing in biblical context literally means to have the hand of God's favor working on your behalf. For God's favor to be working on your behalf. When he says, God bless me, he's not saying, God, give me a bigger house. Yeah. He's not saying, God, give me a faster car. Give me the boat that I've always wanted. God, put a couple extra commas in my bank account. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, God, that, that your favor would rest upon my life. The unmerited and unwarranted and undeserved and unearned favor, that, that that would be at work on my behalf, that you would be behind the scenes weaving and orchestrating and ordaining, that every one of my steps would be ordered by you. Let your favor lead me and guide me as I come in. And when I go out on the left and on the right, every encounter that I have, may it be seasoned with your favor and with your grace. The question we have to ask ourselves is how do we measure blessing? Do we measure it in dollar bills? Do we measure it in commas, do we measure it in possessions? Do we measure it in relationships? Do we measure it in, in achievement? Do we measure, how do we measure blessing? Do we simply measure it by the favor that God grants? By the peace in our minds? By the grace that he gives? Is that the blessing that you want is that the blessing? And blessing is one of those words that, like, we use it so much. Like love, I love this, and I love that, and I love mamas, I love the Red Sox, and I love my wife. And I can say I love all of these things. Now we all know that we don't. I don't. I don't love all of those things equally. Blesses the say like we we walk around like how are you doing? I'm blessed. What does that mean? When we pray for the food, God, would you bless this food? What does that mean? I saw, saw a video this week, and it, it said, do you pray for your leftovers? 
Like, hey, God, it's me with that same chicken again <laughs> that you blessed last time. Would you re-bless it? Like, was it blessed the first time or was it not blessed? The, like, you know what I mean? Like, we pray blessings over our food. When somebody sneezes, what do we say? Bless you. We use this word without really, and I think we use it so much that it's kind of lost its, its value and its, our, its meaning in our lives. How do we measure it? What are we looking for when we pray for blessing? Why do we want to be blessed? See, it's one thing to, to say, God, would you bless me so that I can be blessed? And it's another thing to say, God, would you bless me so that I could be a blessing to others? Because when you prayed the prayer that Jabez prayed, God bless me, you recognize that the blessing is not for your benefit. Everything that God's given you is not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of those around you. Genesis chapter 12, the reason God blessed Abraham is why. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that the entire world through you will be blessed. You are blessed today to be a blessing. That's the truth. You were blessed so that you can bless others. You were not blessed so that you can brag about yourself or show off your stuff or look at me or look at this. No, God blesses you so that you can then in turn give to those that don't. Be a blessing in the world around you. But the prerequisite for this favor and the prerequisite for this blessing, we have to understand at the very beginning from the time we're introduced to Jabez, it tells us that he was an honorable man. He lived according to God's standard. So that he was more honorable than any of his brothers. Most scholars will tell you that Jabez lived around the time shortly after Joshua. Well, what happened after Joshua? The judges, when everyone started doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. So here's a man who, while the world is going crazy around him, is still committed to living an honorable life. And because he's living an honorable life and is asking God to bless him so that he can bless others, God grants him his request. You and I, when we pray for blessing, we have to make sure that we're, we're doing it from the right perspective and with the right motive, but that we're also living a life that backs up God's ability to then pour out that blessing. So here's the problem. So often we want blessings from God without living lives of obedience to God. And you can get, listen, you can get what, what you can produce. You can, you can work hard and, and you can earn and you can have and you can make and you can take and you can, you can get all of that. But that doesn't mean that God's favor is upon your life. Just because you got a couple commas in your bank account doesn't mean that God's favor is in your marriage. Doesn't mean his grace is upon your kids. You want material? Do you want material or do you want blessing? Do you want stuff or do you want favor? I don't know about you, but I would trade stuff for favor of God any day of the week and twice on Sunday. As we were reading this week, we read Psalm 73. And, and in this psalm, he's, he's writing and he's talking about those that are around him that have all of the stuff and it never seems like their life is, is in danger or is in trouble or that there's ever bad things that happen to them. Go and put that verse up there. He says, I, I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. Have you ever been there? Like, oh, why, 
why do these people have it so good? And yet here I am and I'm trying my hardest and I'm going to church and I'm tithing and I'm doing everything that I, that I know to do. And I know that I mess up at times, but I repent and I, I pick myself up and I'm, I'm trying to trust in you and trying to stay in your word. But everywhere I look, it seems like the people who are doing the opposite of me have it better than me. Have you ever been there? So I see them prosper. They, they seem to, to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. So he's, he's here looking at these, these wicked people who from the outside looking in seem to be so blessed. And he's asking himself, God, why do they... Why do they have this life that I want, but my life is opposite, even though I'm living for you? Am I doing it all in vain? And he has this moment where his perspective shifts. And he says, when I thought like that, I was just senseless and, and arrogant because God, you put their foot on a slippery path and you cast them down to destruction. And he shifts his perspective. And here's how he ends this Psalm. He says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom, whom have I in heaven but you and in, in earth? Nothing I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he says in the beginning, he says, they're so blessed and I'm so not. But then he's, his perspective changes and he says, at the end of it all, they really have nothing of value and I'm the one with so much. God, you've entrusted to me. You're there with me. You are my portion. If I never have anything to my name materialistically or physically, the fact that, that you are my portion and there's nothing on this earth that I desire more than you. See, as we pray, God bless me, we have to understand what we're praying. He wasn't praying for a bigger bank account or a faster boat. He was praying, God, let your favor be upon my life. The next thing that he prays is he says, God, bless me and enlarge my territory. God, would you enlarge my territory? Now, again, he's, he's right after the time of Joshua. Now, in Joshua, they go into the promised land. God has told them to remove all the inhabitants of the land. Do they do that? Come on, we've read that together. Do they do that? No, they don't. There's still some of the, the original inhabitants that they leave there. They fail to completely remove them. So now they're, they're fighting against these people that are, are trying to push them out of what they think is, is their land, yet it's the land that God promised them. So when he's praying and he's saying, God, enlarge my territory, this isn't God, give me more stuff or God, make my name famous or God, increase my estate. But what he's really praying is God, increase my influence for you. And it's not a selfish prayer because we have to remember that God is the one who promised to enlarge their territory in the first place. In Exodus chapter 34, this is what God says to Moses. He tells Moses, I'm going to drive out the nations before you and I will what? Enlarge your territory. So for Jabez to pray, God, enlarge my territory, all he's praying is what God has already said. What Jabez is essentially praying is, God, don't help me. Don't let me settle for anything less than your fullness in my life. God, don't let me leave anything on the table. God, help me to walk in the fullness of what you have already promised me. 
Lord, expand my influence, expand my territory. Give me opportunity. But the question that we have to ask is, why do you want opportunity? What is your, what is your motivation in praying enlarge my territory? Because you can have your territory enlarged. You can have opportunities for you so that your name is made great. Or you can ask God for opportunities to make his name famous. God, give me opportunities so that I can build something for me. Or God, give me opportunities so that I can be a part of building your kingdom. God, give me influence. Why, were they, why was God sending them to the promised land? To be a light to the other nations. He told Moses, the reason I'm sending you there is to be an example. We see it in Joshua chapter 2 when Rahab the prostitute has a conversation with the spies. What does she say? She says, we heard about you 40 years ago. We've seen and we've heard, we've heard the things that God did for you. Surely your God is God in heaven and God in the earth. The purpose of God giving them the territory was so that God would receive the glory. The purpose of God expanding you and taking you into new territory and giving you more influence is not so that you'll get glory for yourself or glory for your business, and so that he will receive the glory. And if you're not directing the glory back to him, watch that territory shrink real quick. You want opportunities, you want expansion, you want bigger, you want responsibility. Like, it's work, it's hard, it's there. God wants to give it, but the only way he'll give it is if he gets the glory for it. Ephesians chapter three, all glory to who? God who through his mighty power at work within us is able to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. The truth is God wants to do more than you could ask him for and more than you could imagine in your mind, but he wants to do it not for your glory, but for his glory. Are you willing to give him the glory for that? Let's continue with with the prayer. So he says, God, would you bless me? He says, God, would you enlarge my territory? And then he says, God, let your hand be with me. God, let your hand be with me. What is the hand of God synonymous with in the scripture? Synonymous with provision. It's synonymous with protection. It's synonymous with leading and guiding and directing. And we, we see that. So, so what he's saying is, is, God, let your hand be with me. What he's saying is, God, don't just be with me in the good times and don't just be with me in the bad times, but would you be a part of literally every part of my life? See, there are people who, when things are really good, are in church every week. When there's reason to praise and when there's reason to rejoice and there's reason for hope and when there's, there's reason for those things, they're here every week, worshiping and telling people how blessed they are and how good their God is and how great things are going. But the second they start walking through a valley, they disappear for about nine months. Like, this is where you need to be, first of all, in that time. But when things are good, God, I'll praise your name. Well, what about when things aren't so good? And then there are people who are on the opposite side of that coin. That when, when crisis is around every corner, they're here every opportunity they get. And they're crying at the altars and calling out to God. I'm not saying don't do those things. But as soon as things start to turn around, they're like, all right, God, thank you. I got it from here. It's like, no, what about everything in between? Not just the crisis and not just the rejoicing, but, but God, even in the mundane things, let your hand be a part of my life. That you would lead me, that you would guide me. What he was really praying here is, is God, I just don't want your provision, but I want to be intimate with the provider. I'm not just asking for provision. 
But I'm asking for relationship with the one who provides, that your hand would be with me. Psalm 84, we read it this week, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. We've sang songs about that. What's he saying? He's saying, I don't want to live any other life than, than what gives me the opportunity to be in your presence. God, I just want to be with you. See, as a father, I, I read this and, and I read Jabez praying to his heavenly father saying, let your hand be with me. And I think about the times how as, as a father, I've helped my kids with my hand, whether we're, you know, we're, we're hiking or we're, we're going somewhere. And I remember there are times where we're hiking and, and there's a steep portion of a path and they can't get up. And so what do I do as a dad? I reach down with my hand and I I pull them up. I think about the times where with my hands I've provided and I've blessed my kids and I've given them gifts, whether it's birthday or Christmas, because that's the only time I ever give them gifts. Angel, on the other hand, it's every day of the week. So, but I think about the times where I've given something to them. I think about the times where we've been walking and there's a puddle and with my hand, I'll say, hey, watch out. There's a, there's a puddle there. Have you dads ever done that? Or you're walking along the sidewalk and there's cars driving by and you take them with your hand and you move them to the inside and you walk close to the vehicles. Why? Because I'm protecting and I'm guiding and I'm leading and I'm directing and I'm providing and I'm blessing and I'm giving and I'm, I'm doing all of this with my hand as your father. This is what my hand is for. You know what else I've used my hand for? Right? Correction. Discipline when discipline is needed. Because the hand of a father is not just the hand of provision. The hand of a father is not just the hand of leading and guiding and directing. The hand of a father is not just the hand that rescues one when one falls. The hand of a father is also the hand of discipline and rebuke and correction. Hebrews 12 tells us no discipline is fun in the moment. But if we would submit ourselves to it, it would produce a harvest of righteousness in our lives. Amen. See, we, we pray and we want God's hand of provision while at the same time rejecting his hand of correction. And if you and I are gonna have prayers that are answered like Jabez prayed, we have to be willing to submit not just to the hand of provision, but the hand of correction as well. That's the prayer that Jabez prayed. God, let your hand be with me in all things. And he continues, he says, God, would you bless me? God, would you enlarge my territory? God, let your hand be with me. And then he finally he says, God, would you keep me from harm? This word harm, literally, it's, it, it means evil. Keep me from evil. And the pain that he feels associated with the evil is the pain that we all understand that comes as a consequence of our sin. And those times in our lives where we misstep or somebody close to us has a misstep. And it creates times in seasons of pain and hurt and trouble. What he's really praying here is not, God, don't let me ever go through a bad time. His prayer is not, God, make it just all lily fields for the rest of my life. His prayer is essentially what Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, when he says, deliver, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Keep us from harm. God, keep my feet on places where you've ordained me to step. God, keep my feet planted on the firm foundation that is your word. God, keep me from harm. Watch over me. See, the truth is in our lives, we're either moving closer to evil or closer to God every day. 
You're never just standing still. You're taking steps one direction or the other. And if we're going to pray like Jabez prayed and we're going to pray, God, keep me from evil, really what we're praying is, God, draw me close to you. God, help me be closer to you today than I was yesterday. And God, tomorrow, help me be closer to you tomorrow than I was today. And God, there are going to be times that I take those missteps, but let your hand be there to correct my course and bring me back to you. Keep me from harm. Keep me from evil. But here's the thing is, as God does that, we have to be willing to understand that God knows. Not only does God know, but here's what God knows. God knows better than you do. And if we're going to submit ourselves to this prayer and submit ourselves in a way that sees our prayers answered, and we're going to pray, God, keep me from harm, then we have to ask ourselves, do we really trust God? And do we really trust that he knows better than us? See, there are times where God has come and he says, hey, you don't want that. That's going to create nothing but trouble for you. And it's like, God, it's not that big of a deal. God, I don't do it all the time. God, it's not, it's not every weekend. God, it's just every now and then. God, it's just one little drink here and there. God, it's just this, it's just that. God, it's, it's not that big of a deal. God, I think I, I, God, I can handle it. You know how many times in my life I've told God that I can handle it? <laughs> you know how many times that's worked out for me? Exactly this many. Whether it was in a day, a month, a year, a decade. Every time I've told myself and I've tried to convince God that I can handle it, he said, okay, let's see you handle it. And it, <laughs> I handled it straight to trouble. But when we pray, God, keep me from harm, when he comes and he says, hey, this is going to harm you, we can't argue with him. We can't try and debate with him. Because the truth is, either you're going to live by what he's directing you to live by, or you're going to live by your own ways. But you can't pray, God, bless me in one sentence. And God, don't worry about keeping me from harm. I've got that taken care of. In the next, like it's all or nothing. You can't have one without the other. And so we have to surrender. We have to submit ourselves to, to his leading, to his nudging, to his guiding, to his directing, to his provision, to his correction, to his discipline. But here's the thing. As we do that, here's what I love about the story of Jabez. And the end of the story is this. God grants him his request. Worship team, you guys can come back. At the end of it all, the Bible says that God granted his request. Again, how many of you want God to grant you your request? Let me see your hands. Okay, most of us. There's some of us that we're still undecided, and that's fine. I want God to grant my request. How many of you, as you look at this prayer of Jabez, you can think about areas of your life where you need God's favor to be at work for your, for, for your benefit? Anybody? Amen. Thank you, Jordans. God's going to give you supernatural favor just because of your desire to respond to that. The rest of us, we're just going to sit on our hands and maybe we get it, or maybe we don't. How many of you can, can recognize some areas of your life where you need God's favor to bless you and be upon you? Okay. 
Good. How many of you in your lives, you recognize that there are some areas where you can take new territory in your relationships, in your marriages, in your families, in your business, in your schools, in your, in your workplaces, even in your identity? Some of you single people are like, I don't have anything to take. Listen, there's identity that you need to begin taking back. How many of you need to enlarge your territory? Okay, good. Now we're getting some more. How many of you don't want God's hand of provision just here and there, but you want God to be a part of every aspect of your life? You want to pray like Jabez prayed, God, let your hand be upon me. How many of you want God to keep you on the straight and narrow and keep your feet on the firm foundation, not letting you slip to the left or to the right, but being sure fitting for you in your life? You want him to keep you from evil. Awesome. It's all of us. It's every one of us, right? Like none of us would sit here and say, no, I'm good. Be foolish too. Here's the question. How many of you believe that prayer works? Prayer is powerful. How many of you believe God can do anything? The Bible says this. The Bible says if we pray anything according to his will. Right? That means that I can't just pray God. <laughs> My prayer of Jabez can't look like God. Help me to win the lottery next week. That's <laughs> We pray anything according to his will. If it lines up with his word, if it lines up with his character. Now here's the thing, this prayer is not a, it's not a prayer of name it, claim it, because this is his word and this is his will. God's will is that his favor would be upon your life as you live out a life of obedience to him. It's what he said to Joshua. Meditate on, the, on this word, study it, be careful to obey everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. That's God's nature and that's God's character. So God bless me does not go against God's character. God enlarge my territory. God wants to give you influence if you would direct the glory to him. That's his nature. That's his character. That's who he is. He's got purpose. He's got destiny for your life. God, let your hand be upon me. That's who he is. God, keep me from evil. That's who he is. So every, everything in this prayer lines up with his word, his nature, and his, his character. So we have to understand that if prayer is powerful, that if I pray his word, I pray his will, the Bible says that if I make my request known, I know that he hears me. And if I know that he hears me, I know that he'll respond. So here's the question. If prayer works and God is all powerful, and he's able to do this. And if this prayer lines up with his word, my question then is why don't we pray more? Like, honestly, if you truly believe prayer works, why don't you pray more? Why don't I pray more? If we truly thought that we could take God at his word, then why on nights of worship and prayer, do we gather for an hour and a half time to just be together and pray for one another and lift up our needs before him? And it's the same 18 people here every week. Why when the doors are open, are we not just flooding these altars, praying and crying out to God? Why when we wake up in the morning is the first thing that we do not to go, go to God and say, God, let your favor be upon me today. Every interaction that I have today, God, would you, would you season it with your grace and with your favor? And God, today, expand my territory just a little bit. And my coworker, help me to, to take some territory in that relationship and give me some influence over them so that you might be glorified in everything that I do today. And Lord, as I go 
about my day, even in the mundane things. Help me to feel your presence and feel and recognize you with me. And God, keep me from evil. Let there be no, no wicked thought that comes up, but help me to take every thought captive. And, and anything that the devil would use to tempt me or cause me to stumble today, I just cast that down. No weapon formed against me. Why don't we wake up every day? And pray that over ourselves and over our families and over our kids and over our schools and over our city. Why don't we pray it over our church? God, give us influence in our city. Help us to take territory in our city. God, give Dream City favor in our city. Why don't we pray more? So here's what we're going to do. I asked the worship team to come back. I've gone a little bit late today, but that's okay. You're already not going to beat them to, to the lunch spot anyway, so you might as well. Here's what I want us to do. If you would, just stand with me. I'm going to ask the worship team. They're going to come back and they're going to lead us in a song. But as they do, I want to give you an opportunity. If, if we all agree today that prayer is powerful, if we all agree today that, yes, I want God to bless me and expand my territory and have his hand upon me and keep me from evil. And I want, I want my prayer and my request to be granted. I want God to look on me as he did Jabez. I want to live an honorable life that God, gets God's hand moving in my direction. Then I'm not, I'm not just gonna challenge you like, okay, well, tomorrow when you wake up, pray this prayer. But I'm gonna give you an opportunity. We're just gonna take five minutes. How many give me five minutes? Come on, how many give me five minutes? Okay, five, 10, 15. We're good till like four o'clock. We're good. Just kidding. That was an old Pastor Dovey trip. Give me five minutes. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to open the altars and I'm going I'm to invite you to come down. Can I pray this prayer in my seat? Yeah, you can pray it in your seat. But here's my challenge to you. Get outside of your comfort zone. Get outside of your pain. Jabez. Call on the God of Israel. The God who moves mountains and the God who opens seas. If you're here with your significant other, your spouse, your family, I would encourage you, bring them down with you. Come down as a family and pray these things. Pray these four things over your lives, over your marriages, over your kids, over your relationships, over your, your finances. Don't wait. Come on down right now. The worship team is going to lead us for a few minutes. We're going to worship for a few minutes. We're going to pray for a, mute for, for a few minutes. We're going to call on God and then I'll come back. Prayer, prayer, blessing. And then we're going to dismiss today. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.